Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. So last week I was in Florida. Uh, We brought a number of people from Abundant Life to a conference out there, and it was a conference of a lot of uh, Christian churches all around the nation that are uh, very similar to us in history. And and so we get together, and about once a year we just uh, learn from one another and grow. We have a number of speakers, and it was a great experience. Uh, But it's one of those, there's so many things coming at you so quickly uh, that I'm like, we need to process this. Like, we need to catch our breath, and I wanna hear what everyone else is learning, and I I wanted to have that space. And and so we said, hey, on the the final night, uh, let's go out and have a a nice dinner with all of us. Let's sit at one table, and let's make space so we can talk and, and debrief what everyone is learning. And so we go to, there's this, a number of restaurants right where our hotel was, and so we go there, and, and we're going restaurant to restaurant, and uh, nobody had room for us. Our group was too big, and if you've ever had a group uh, you know, reservation, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, okay. And then some of them are like, well, we could split you up, half your group. Like, no, no, no. We want to all be together. We got to debrief it. We, we want to have this space to talk. And so we went about doing that, and uh, uh, finally, our Sandy Campus pastor, Bryce, found a restaurant that had a, a table for all of us outside, and so I said, perfect, let's do that. We'll have a great evening, uh, enjoying Florida weather, and you know, we'll, we'll have uh, this space. So we get out there, and we're all sitting down, and everything looks perfect, until I realize, uh, right just off the corner of our table is a musician. Have you ever been to one of these restaurants? So they've got this Latin singer who's fantastic, by the way, not the point, but is playing his music right next to our table. He's got these speakers set up. So we sit down and within, I mean, seconds realize no conversation is happening. I can't even hear what people are saying to me across the table. It's so loud. And so we have this moment where like, we tried so hard, we were gonna have this great space And it's just not gonna work. And I remember thinking, man, what a bummer. And and, uh, you know, it's one of those, like it just doesn't go the way you plan, so you have to laugh at it. And at one point, my wife Michelle took a photo of how funny it was, how close the singer was. And so I wanna show you uh, your campus pastor, Pastor Aaron Walton, sitting at a table, enjoying a nice meal with the rest of our group. This is what it looked like. That's how close. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I know you think preacher stories, but like, that's how close they are. And again, it's really difficult to have a conversation. And here's the worst part. We weren't even at a TGI Fridays. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't even go there with me. It's sad. All right. Welcome to Abundant Life Church. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, to those in the room with me, those of you who are watching or listening online uh, through YouTube or a podcast, we're so glad that you guys are a part of this as well. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we are continuing and wrapping up this series we've been in for the last three weeks called Good News. And this comes from our mission statement. Uh, and if you're new with us, that we are a church about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And so if you've got a journal and you've been holding on to it, I wanna encourage you to get that out. Go to week three, you'll see it's about to take notes there. If not, I'll encourage you to get something out uh, to write down with. If you've got a piece of paper or a notebook uh, or a notes app on a phone, we encourage you to take notes as we process this through. This is designed uh, not only for you to have more conversation with you and Jesus throughout the week, but also hopefully if you're in a life group, it gives you something to, to bring to that conversation as well. So we're in week three of that. We are in our Bible 
Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter four. And so if you brought a physical Bible with you in here today, I wanna encourage you to get that out, get your spot uh, there in 2 Corinthians four in the New Testament. We're gonna be there in just a moment. If you've got a Bible app, you can get that out as well and uh, you can follow along. Now before we get to the text today, uh, I wanna let you know something very special happening next week at Abundant Life. Uh, we get the chance to hear from one of my mentors, a guy named Dr. Greg Boyd. Uh, I have known Greg for a number of years. Uh, Greg is the pastor of a church in Minnesota. Uh, he, he started that church in Minnesota a number of years ago. Uh, he's a theologian. I mean, the guy is an incredibly deep thinker. And he's a prolific author. I think he's written 22 books. Um, I have not read them all, but the ones I've read are very good. And uh, uh, he's going to share uh, the story of a book that he wrote. I think it was his first real best-selling book called Letters from a Skeptic. Greg came to faith uh, later in life, and, and so at that point, his dad was not a Christian, and, uh, and his dad couldn't figure out why his son had chosen Christianity. It made no sense to him. And so his dad begins to write him letters. Remember, remember letters, yeah, before email? Uh, his dad began to write him letters to say, what on earth, how could you follow Jesus? How could you be a Christian? And he begins to ask him the questions that people ask whenever you say, yeah, I follow Christians, and I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian. And so he goes back and forth, these letters uh, to and from his dad. And it's an amazing conversation. Greg later turned it into a book. And he's going to tell the story of, of sharing his faith with his dad and, and ultimately what came out of that. Now, here's the deal. This is not only a week you don't want to miss. This is an incredible opportunity for you to bring someone with you to church next week. Uh, you need to bring a coworker, a family member, uh, bring you know, a neighbor. You need to bring someone who is wrestling with Christianity. And if you've ever thought, man, I don't know what the, what the sermon will be that day. I don't know if it'll be a good fit. Next week is a great fit to bring a friend to. That conversation is gonna be amazing. And if, if they're doubtful, here's what you say. You go, look, the normal guy, he's not that good. But he's got a friend who's really good, and you should come hear that guy. And so I'm fine with that, I can handle that. Uh, we want you to come next week, bring someone. I think you will be blessed by this conversation, and hopefully the same questions that Greg, his dad was asking him, are questions you might have, are questions your friends and family might have, and we would encourage you, we're gonna create space for that conversation next week, so I want you to be a part of that. All right, today, we are looking at what does good news look like for us? What does it look like in community? See, the reality is, and I, I get to live in this world, whenever you try to like create a community, the bigger it gets, the harder it gets. It's the same principle as trying to have a nice debrief dinner with a group uh, in Florida, and then a singer shows up. But if you try to do this in the church, the more people you get, it gets really difficult. So how do we know how to live out our faith in community together. Now, you might wonder, um, what is it that we all agree on in here? Like, maybe you're here and you're newer and you're like, yeah, I'm not sure, like, what, what, what version of this thing are we all agreeing on? And, and am I in agreement with everyone else? And, and what exactly is that thing that we have decided to agree on? And so we felt as the leadership of our church a number of years ago that we wanted to, to make it really simple and really clear uh, what we think the essence of Christianity is. And by that, I mean, uh, what has the, the church historically believed for the last 2,000 years, uh, not just in America, but all around the world, 
world? What has the church believed in different cultures and different times? And how do we tap into that same vein of the church that began in the book of Acts? How do we figure out what has the church always stood upon? And so for us, we narrowed it down to a list of about eight phrases. And we said, these eight things really are how we would answer someone who says, what does it mean? To, to, to be a Christian, what are those beliefs? And so I wanna share those with you briefly. And if you've been here for a while, you've probably heard me share these before. If you've ever been to one of our Discover ALC classes at any of our campuses, uh, you've had a chance to hear these as well. Uh, but in case you've never heard them or in case you need a little reminder, here's what this is all built on, uh, what Christianity means to us uh, as we understand it. So we would say we affirm the essential beliefs of the church, including the inspiration and authority of scripture. Okay? How do we know what kind of a God we're following? Well, God has revealed himself. And, and one of the easiest ways we can see that revelation is through scripture. And so uh, we believe that it's inspired by God and it has authority. And, and so we don't just decide, hey, we can do whatever we want, but we go back to the scriptures. If you've been here, you notice that we preach the Bible every single week. Every single week, we're gonna ask you to get your Bible out. We'll open it up with us because we believe it's inspired and it has authority in our life. Next thing we would say is we believe in the triune nature of God. Now we're getting to some theological words. You're like, what is triune? It's not a word I use often. That means three in one, that God as, as you know, uh, revealed in the scriptures is Father, Son, and Spirit. Now again, this is unique uh, to the biblical understanding of God. Not all other religions would talk about God like this. This is how we have seen God revealed in the scriptures. Next one we'd say is the deity, humanity, and resurrection of Jesus. This one's a big one, right? That, that Jesus really was God, really was human, and he really died and rose again. That those are like the huge ingredients of what it means to be a Christian. We just got done with the whole series talking about the importance of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Next one is that the, the creation of the world, and in particular, not a particular uh, way how it was done or how many years old it was, but that God did it. See, you can uh, get hung up, and Christians have been fighting for hundreds of years on how exactly did we get here. Uh, I don't know, I wasn't there, neither were you. We can all have our theories, but here's the point. I believe that we were created by God, and we think this is really the essence of the Christian teaching on that. Not necessarily how it was done or how many years ago it happened, but that God did it. We're not an accident. You didn't accidentally arrive here, didn't accidentally just come into life. This is all set in motion by a creator. Next one we'd say is we believe in the fall of humanity. That there is a sin problem that you and I have broken with the creator. And so uh, we have chosen our own way and this is true in a variety of senses. Uh, you know, it's been said that every sin comes with a gotcha. You know, and, and if you've uh, dealt with sin in your own life, I think all of us have experience with that. You can go, oh yeah, I experienced the gotcha to that sin personally, but sin manifests itself in community uh, where we sin against one another, that becomes an issue. But then also it breaks our connection with God and, and we go, well, what do we do about that? And because of the fall of humanity, we'd say the next one is the need for salvation in Jesus alone. That, that there is a problem that Jesus is uniquely equipped to help us solve. And, and, and not all, uh, all you know, different religions are gonna offer you the same thing. We believe it's, it's all about Jesus. Now, how is Jesus gonna do the saving? Who is Jesus gonna save? I don't know. That's not our job as Christians. Uh, but the scriptures are pretty clear that Jesus is the one who does the saving. Fast forward to the kind of the end of time, we would say, we believe in the return of Jesus. God didn't take his hands off creation and say, good luck, hope it all works out for you. He's coming back, 
and, and, and there is going to be an ultimate restoration, and, and that is going to mean this, that God's ultimate victory over evil, that, that we know the ending of the story in the sense of God is going to redeem this, God is going to restore all of the brokenness in creation. This is what we have seen, best we can understand it, what the church historically around the world would say, this is the essence of what it means to be Christian. Now, there's lots of other things that are important too, and lots of other things that the scriptures would dive into, but those views, there's usually lots of those views that the church has understood throughout time. And so we would say those are non-essentials, not that they're not important, that, that you can disagree with that and still be Christian, but this is really the core of what it means to be Christian. Now, we've rolled this out enough at this point in our church that, that people often, when I'm talking to them, they're like, yeah, 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 I know that. I, I've heard those a... I like those, I've got no problem with those, that's good. But what about everything else? You know, that's usually like, yeah, yeah, those are fine. But what about the rest? Like, what about my, my other opinions that I have, the other non-essentials? What about those? What do we do with those? Because really this list, I think, is a good list because we can lock arms around this and go, yeah, that's what it means to be a Christian. Let's focus on that. But it easily turns into, what about all those other things that we have opinions on? And to that, I want us to go to 2 Corinthians Chapter four. Now we're gonna look at uh, a little uh, picture that Paul is going to paint for us. Begin reading in verse six. And this is an incredible argument. And one of those that you may have read before and you may go, oh yeah, that's a cool image. Uh, But I'd like to argue that we need to take this image further than we normally take it. And, And we need to really think what would this mean if we were to live in this way. So here's what the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter four, beginning in verse six. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That is as good a verse as you're gonna find. God has given us the light of Christ, the glory of Christ uh, as displayed in the face of Jesus. We have the glory of God. You're like, oh, that's so good. Then notice verse seven, but... Now, there are some big buts in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that. This is a huge but in the Bible. So everything's good. Oh, we have the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We let that light shine. Yes, preach on, preacher. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, at this point, if you're reading, you're going, huh? What? Why? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, it started out really good, and then it got really weird. Okay, so we got this amazing treasure. We have the glory of God shining in us through the face of Jesus, and we hold this treasure in jars of clay. Now, if you're thinking about jars of clay, you're going, that's a weird way to keep a treasure like that. Why, Paul, would you keep a treasure in a jar of clay? Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, uh, well, this is like, you know, ancient times. Uh, Maybe Paul had no other option. You know, maybe this was the best he had, so he chose jar of clay. Not true. Uh, He could have said, uh, we hold this treasure in metal jars. That, That was available to them. And if a metal jar breaks, you can repair it. That would seem to make some sense. He could have said, uh, we hold this uh, treasure in jars of glass, which can break 
uh, but you can uh, reuse the glass. You can melt it down and you could use it again. He doesn't say that. He says, we hold this treasure in jars of clay. Now, clay jars uh, were incredibly common in this day. Uh, they were inexpensive. Uh, almost every household would have jars of clay. Uh, these were like, you know, the cheapest of the cheap that you could use. Uh, very common. Now, when a clay jar breaks, what do you do with it? You throw it away because it's done. And so they're brittle, they're fragile. You use them one time, they break, and you're done with them. And that is the image that Paul uses. They had such little value. Why would you put a treasure like that in a jar of clay? Now, you might go, yeah, this is the problem with Christianity. It sounds so fragile. Yeah, we have this great treasure, but we're, we're like these jars of clay in it. So great news that the treasure is awesome, but that doesn't do us much good if we can't even contain the treasure, if we can't even hold that treasure. And many of us, if we're honest, have to, have to acknowledge that Christianity looks quite fragile. Last week, uh, Pastor David shared an amazing message uh, in week two of our series, and, and he showed a video that was some spoken poetry. And uh, if you saw this last week, it's a little bit hard to listen to, and it's someone's perspective, the questions that they have about God. And as I listened to that, one of the lines from that spoken uh, poetry really stood out to me. This is from Jim Doolin. He said this, they look at me, like they're scared of me sometimes. Like I'm going to break their faith. He's talking about Christians. God, if you exist, why did you make their faith such a fragile thing? Now, I gotta be honest with you, I can relate with this. Like God, if, if you're real and this is all true, why are Christians so fragile? Or why does this break so easily? Why did you put this treasure in a jar of clay that makes no sense? But if you keep reading Paul's argument, he expands on this image. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10. Paul says this. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Now, the temptation is to read that separately than the first part we just read, because you're like, okay, he's switching gears. Now he's talking about death and life here, but it's the same image. So he's saying, what we do as Christians, so if you would call yourself a Christian today, uh, we carry around the death of Christ. Again, if you're with us in this last series, we talked about the importance of the crucifixion, that this reveals the character of what kind of a God we follow. It's a God that would die to show us enemy love. That's the kind of God we follow. So we carry around the death of Jesus, which is a weird thing to carry around. But why do we carry that around? Well, Paul says, so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in us. Now, that might make no sense to you. Go, go back to the image he just gave us. So we are the jar of clay. We are carrying around this great treasure. And that as death is experienced in our life, as we break, as you know, there's uh, cracks and there's holes that shine through, this treasure, Paul compares it to a light shining in the darkness, shines through the brittleness of this jar of clay. So it does not matter. It's not like we, it was a liquid and we lost the liquid and it all the treasure vanished and we lost it. No, it's not that kind of treasure. It's the treasure like a light. And, and if you hold a light and you have uh, something around it that is cracking, it only makes the light shine through more. 
So yes, we are fragile, but the treasure we have is doing something different inside of us. Now, I would say that's the, the spot most of us, we stop at this conversation. We go, okay, cool. So I'm fragile, but Jesus is cool, so we're gonna be good. But we haven't fully lived this out. What does this idea mean uh, if we were to apply it today? Let me ask you this question. What is the opposite of fragile? Now, we, we know what it means to be fragile. You can break something really easy. Well, what's the opposite of that? Well, most of us, okay, I heard the word resilient. Uh, a similar word would be the word robust, right? Same idea. Something could be robust or resilient. Uh, that would be the opposite of fragile. But think about it. Uh, if something is fragile, what we're saying is it can easily be broken. If something is robust or resilient, it's going to be harder to break, but it doesn't mean you couldn't break it. So it's really not the opposite of fragile, but that's really the only idea that we have. And so most of us, if we were to answer that question, we would say, yeah, like robust or resilient, because that's what we know of. Now, I wanna teach you a new word today. This is a word I discovered uh, on my study leave this year. Uh, I didn't make it up. I wish I made it up, because it's an amazing word. Uh, but here's the word that I would suggest is actually the opposite of fragile. It's the word anti-fragile. You're like, that's not a real word. He's making this up. No, you can look it up. I, I'm not making it up. It's the opposite of, of fragile by definition of the word. Okay, uh, here's the deal. This is cool. So fragile, something can easily be broken. Robust, it'll be difficult to break. It will last longer before it'll break. Anti-fragile, catch this, it gets stronger as you try to break it. It gets better as you try to break it. Totally different image here. It truly is the opposite of fragile. Now, this is such a weird idea. Let me illustrate this, because you're going, what on earth is he talking about? Okay, so let's imagine that you wanted to send a package. You want to send a package to somebody, and so you're gonna you know, get that box ready to ship. You're gonna go down to FedEx or UPS or whatever, and if it's fragile, what do you put on the box? Fragile, it's not a trick question, good job, okay? You put a giant red sticker, you're paying attention, you put a giant red sticker on it, and you say fragile, and what are you saying? Dear FedEx driver, please be gentle. If you are not gentle, this is not gonna you know, arrive in one piece, please be gentle, so you put fragile. Now, if you are gonna go and you're gonna mail something that's robust, what do you put on it? Nothing, because that's the norm. Everything else is robust. Now, are you saying if you don't put a fragile sticker on it that you want the delivery driver to abuse the box? No, you're not saying that. You're just saying in normal delivery conditions, right, which is, I guess, uh, nebulous, in normal delivery conditions, that box will arrive in, the, in, the, in one piece. It's robust enough to handle it. That's what you're saying. That is what we consider the norm, which is why we think that is the opposite to that. But let me show you this. If you had a package that was anti-fragile, what would you put on that? Please mishandle, <laughs> right? Kick this box, run over it with your truck, you know? Uh, do whatever you can, launch it to the front door. I mean, you would say all these things because you know that that box is gonna get stronger and better as it is uh, experiencing any type of damage or opposition like that. 
Now, as I was thinking about this concept, I was so intrigued by it because this has an, a ton of implications uh, to, to life and how we live out our faith. But I realized there's an incredible image, a metaphor of what it looks like to be anti-fragile. And so because this is new, I wanna lock this in your mind. I wanna show you a video clip of a very popular movie that I think has a scene that helps us understand what does something anti-fragile look like. Check this out. If you've seen the movie Black Panther, you understand that his suit is anti-fragile. If he gets kicked, if he gets punched, if he takes a bullet, he gets stronger. It only makes his attacks that much more intense. Now, why are we talking about anti-fragility? Here's where this really gets intriguing to me. Let me ask you this question. Is Christianity fragile, robust, or anti-fragile? See, most of us, if we're honest, and I've grown up and around Christians my whole life, uh, if we're honest, I would say most Christians act as if their faith is fragile. We're afraid of new ideas. We're afraid of, uh, of anything changing. We're afraid of the differences of those around us. And so we say things like, yeah, well, if you entertain that, that's a slippery slope. Ever heard that? It's one of the Christian's favorite terms. It's a slippery slope. What we're saying, there's nothing wrong with that idea, but if I entertain that idea, what's the next idea? Right, And what we're saying is, I'm not sure where that would go, and so we have this understanding that most Christians live with that our faith is fragile. Do not challenge it. Do not ask me questions about it. Do not give me a, a, a different opinion I've never heard before because my faith couldn't handle it. Now maybe you're going, no, no, not me. My faith is robust. I have a robust faith. I've, I've done the reading. I've read the Bible. I, I, I can argue apologetics. I, I know the answers to why we believe what we believe. Awesome. Well, that works until it doesn't work, right? Until someone is smarter than you, has an argument you've never heard before. Uh, that professor says it in such a way that you go, whoa, I've never heard that before. And your faith un- un- unravels. Or, or something happens in your life. And all of a sudden, your faith wasn't strong enough to get you through what you're actually experiencing now. And as robust as it was, it actually was only robust for so long. But what if we could actually go, how do we live out an anti-fragile faith where we are so confident in in what we believe that it actually is the truth, that we're not afraid of the differences of those around us. We're not afraid of new ideas. We're not afraid of the slippery slope because we can hold on to Jesus in the midst of the slippery slope. What would it look like for that? And so you might ask the question like this, what would an anti-fragile church look like? I would suggest This would be a church where instead of having any type of threatening reaction to the differences of those around us, we would see them as assets. Thank you that you have a different opinion. Thank you that you have a different story. Thank you that you have a different perspective. I want to to learn from this because it is only going to make my faith stronger. I can't wait to hear your story. I can't wait to hear your perspective. Uh, Let's let's engage this. Let's go deeper in this. I've never heard that before. That is what an anti-fragile church would look like. And we would embrace the differences of the people around us. Now, we're in the season right now uh, of the political rally. And if you turn on the news, you see this on both sides uh, of of the spectrum, right? And and here's what I confess to you, if you want to know the way I'm wired. I can't watch this. Okay, either side, I can't watch it. Because there is a sense of tribalism in these conversations that I think ultimately can can border on demonic. Where it is everything we do and we believe is right and everything they do and they believe is wrong. 
And so it ceases to be about, hey, let's, let's reason through. What are our reasons that we believe this? What are the reasons that I'm a Democrat? What are the reasons I'm a Republican? No, no, when you're at a rally, it's like anything that person says on the stage, yeah, yeah, we're on board. I might not know why I agree with that, but I am in this camp, we are right, and they are wrong. Here's what I would tell you. There's a lot of churches that look like political rallies. I don't know why we believe it, but we're all here and, and we're right and they're wrong. The church should never look like a political rally. So here's the deal. If I say something that you agree with, say amen. Say it loud and proud. Let's do it. But you better know why you agree with what I'm saying. If I say something you're going, oh, I don't know about that. I got to process that. You better know why you disagree with it. You should be able to articulate that. But, but we're not just here because we are right by association and anyone who's not here is wrong. See, we have to begin to understand how does this anti-fragile faith play itself out? Now, the person that really developed the, the term anti-fragile is a guy named Nassim Taleb. He has this brilliant illustration. He says this, wind extinguishes a candle and energizes fire. The same stimulus has such a radically different reaction. Why? Because a candle is fragile, but Fire is anti-fragile. You wanna know one of the most common uh, metaphors for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? Fire. Is that a coincidence? No, see, if you embrace what God is doing, it is like having fire inside of you. And if you have fire inside of you, you're not going to be afraid of some wind. But if you're holding a little candle, then a little breeze blows. You go, oh no, oh no. Don't get near my candle. I'm gonna lose it. You're the enemy. You're the bad guy. You're the, because I've got a little candle. Church, it's time for us to realize that the Holy Spirit is a fire inside of us. And we should not be afraid of a little wind. Now, one of the questions in real time that we get asked all the time, what's the church's stance on this? What's the church? We go back, hey, we have these essentials. Yeah, yeah, I know the essentials. What's the church's stance on this? And really what that question is, um, I know my stance. I wanna see if my stance agrees with your stance because otherwise I can't be a part of this tribe because it's tribalism. Or I don't know what to think on that. Uh, so I need you to tell me what I should believe on that. Now, here's the reality. Uh, if you stick around long enough, you, you will figure out my opinion on a lot of things. I don't, I don't focus on them, but just the nature of preaching, I'll often say, hey, this is kind of the way it makes the most sense to me, and, and you can figure that out. And if you talk to our staff and you get to know them, you'll figure out what our staff believes, and you can figure out what our elders believe. Like, like you can figure it out in relationship, but I really like the way that the author Sarah Bessie says it. She says, may we be the ones who hold our opinions loosely and yet love ferociously. Ah, I like that. I, I, I'm gonna hold my opinions so loosely. So here's the reality. You could convince me that I was wrong on any one of my theological non-essentials and I wouldn't be spun out about that. I wouldn't be like losing sleep. I'd go, oh, because my life, my, 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 you know, my uh, energy that I get from it is not from the rightness of my theology. It's from the person of Jesus. So as long as Jesus is who I think Jesus is, I'm gonna be fine. And I could be wrong about a number of things theologically, but as long as, as Jesus is who he is, I, I'm gonna be good because I don't get my life, I don't get my confidence from the rightness of my theology. 
And so here's what this means, is that if you're here and I'm preaching on something, I'll often say, and if you've been around, you've heard this, hey, this is the way this passage makes the most sense to me. And I've had some people say to me, why do you do that? I don't like that you give your opinion. Just, just preach what it actually means. Well, what I would be preaching is what means to me, like the, the, the understand that I have, but I acknowledge that's one way to look at it, and Christians would look at it other ways, and, and I wanna create space for that. And so the reality is, if we're talking about non-essential things, I've got opinions on it, you've got opinions, you can disagree with me. You don't have to leave our church. You don't have to go, oh, I gotta go find the church on the street. No, no, you're totally welcome to disagree. And I can disagree with you. And I'm not gonna kick you out, okay? So we can do this together. And we go, hey, look, I, I disagree with him on that. Awesome. Let's, let's grow together. Let's, let's learn. And, and you can hear my view and I can hear your view. And we can together figure this out. Because it's about the essentials. When I was younger, I grew up in the church, baptized when I was in third grade. My list of essentials wasn't eight. It was like 80. Like, you have to do all these things. And if you break any of these, you're not a Christian. You know what I realized over the years? Those are my opinions. And so often what we do is we say, my opinions are what it means to be a Christian. And if you disagree with my opinions, you disagree with Jesus. No, they disagree with you. And we gotta go back and go, let's let Jesus be Jesus and people can disagree with him. But if they disagree with us, that's not reason to leave a church. That's not reason to, to go and go, I gotta go find something else. That's what a church should look like. Bob Goff says it like this. The way we love people that we disagree with is the best evidence of what we really believe. No, 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 the best evidence of what I believe is what I believe. No, the best evidence is how you love someone you disagree with. Because I don't care what your ideas are, how right your ideas are. If you're a jerk to someone who disagrees with you, I'm not that interested in your theology, truthfully. If the fruit of the Spirit doesn't manifest in your theology in real time, I don't care how right you are. It doesn't look like Jesus. We have to be the ones that go, hey, you can disagree with me and I'm still gonna love you ferociously because I hold my opinions loosely. And so if you are around here and you're diving into this community, here's what you can expect. We're not gonna tell you what to believe on every non-essential issue. And if we were gonna tell you that, we would be creating a fragile church. I'm not interested in creating a fragile church. I would also be creating a cult. Also not interested in that. that could be fun for a little while, but you know, not, not in it for a long time. <laughs> We're gonna create a community where we can challenge one another. And like we talked about last week, it will begin by listening. Wow, I've never heard that before. Tell me more. Wow, you have a, you have a different take on this. Explain that to me. Wow, your, your journey is so different than mine. Tell me how you got there. By listening, because we're not fragile. See, the goal of our church, and maybe you've not figured this out yet, the goal of our church is not to create a comfortable environment. My goal is not that you'd walk away on a Thursday or on a Sunday and go, oh, I feel so safe and protected and encouraged. That's not the goal. If that was the goal, I would preach very different sermons, okay? I could make you comfortable. That's not what God has called me to do. I don't think it's what God has called us to do. So the goal is not comfort. The goal is that you might come and you go, whoa, I don't know what pastor was talking about this, this morning, that's crazy. And you know what, this is the best. When people come to me and they go, I don't know if I agree with that. I'm like, oh yeah, they're like, I'm gonna go read my Bible. <laughs> Got me there, burn me. I don't know if I agree with that. I'm, I'm gonna pray about that this week. You should do that. I'm gonna go talk to my life group and we're gonna wrestle this theology through together. 
You should do that. Like, that sounds awesome. Because if you're anti-fragile, you will keep working it out and your faith will get stronger. Now, you might be going, okay, Jeremy, look, you're just like making this up because this is what you want to be. This is really not what Christianity should be. Let me give you the best argument I have of all. I've saved it for the end. The best argument. Why are we supposed to be anti-fragile in Christianity? You wanna know why? It's not because of Black Panther. Let me give you a better uh, illustration. Because Jesus on the cross is the single greatest moment of anti-fragility the world has ever seen. When evil thought we have won, we just killed God. Jesus is like, uh, check this out, encore. <laughs> Seriously, let me show you the way Paul says it, Colossians chapter two. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh because you are just a jar of clay. You're so fragile. God made you alive with Christ. Can somebody give me an amen on that? Wait, so I'm fragile, but in my fragility, God brings me to life? Yeah, you're anti-fragile. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having concealed the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. Nothing can touch you now. Nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities. Catch this out, this is so good. He made a public spectacle of them. Woo! How did Jesus do that? Triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus made a public spectacle of evil when he died. When evil thought, game over, this is it, we have arrived. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't understand how anti-fragility works. You can't kill Jesus, he gets stronger, all right? That's the gospel. And so if we are the people who are living this out, like Paul says, we don't need to be afraid of what can happen to us because our God is going to make us alive with Christ, yes, you are a jar of clay, but the treasure you have inside of you is going to bring resurrection power every time you break. Now, I'm gonna close with this. In June of 2017, the Chief Justice of the United States named John Roberts was invited to give the commencement speech at his son's graduation. I wanna read part of what he says because it's such a brilliant uh, thing to say at a graduation. Here's what he said. From time to time, in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck again from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so that you'll know the importance of listening to others. And I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're gonna happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. I should point out that his son was graduating from middle school 
which makes that kind of an intense commencement speech. (laughs) If that is true in life, how much more should that be true of those of us who call ourselves Christians? Those of us that say we follow the guy that showed his power by dying on a cross for his enemies. How much more should that be evident in our life? See, if you have a fragile faith, you will never experience the joy of a community. You'll never experience what the church can ultimately be. It is only when we actually believe that we have an anti-fragile faith that we can grow together in the good news the way God intended. Let me close with 2 Corinthians 1. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Ever felt like that? But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, we don't want you to rely on you. You're just a jar of clay. But as that jar of clay is broken and splinters and cracks, the beauty of the light of the treasure of Jesus Christ shines through. Let's pray together. Jesus, may you shine through these jars of clay. May you and your treasure be so evident, be so beautiful in our lives. May we not think of our faith like a fragile little candle, but understand that if we are submitted to you, we have the fire of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. May we not be afraid of a little wind. God, may you bring us together as your church in all of the differences and all of the perspectives and all of the ways that we experience life differently, that we would learn to see that as a benefit rather than a burden. May you be uniting us together through your Holy Spirit around the person of Jesus as we learn how to follow you in an anti-fragile way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.